Hey, I'm Sayer, and I love Marvel. And I'm Kaylee, and I love someone who loves Marvel. And we're watching through the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe, or MCU, in release order. There's another order. For Kaylee's first time. And Sayer's 85th. <laughs> Welcome to MCU. And me! Okay, we got it, we got it, we got it, we got it. In this episode, we're talking about 2015's Ant-Man, and here's your spoiler warning. Well, that was a pretty simple, hyper-realistic indie film about dads and daughters, I'd say. Mm-hmm. Debbie dad, in and out of jail, wants to see his daughter. Willing to go to any size to do it. <laughs> yeah, and then a parallel story of another dad and daughter who mend their old wounds. Lots of other things happen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but in terms of summary and theme, that's what I got. <laughs> so I didn't know which film we were watching. Tonight. And earlier today, you said, ooh, we have a fun one tonight. And so I was racking my brain all day going, oh, I wonder what it could be. Is it someone I've seen already? Who could it be? And so then when I was watching the film, I kept that in, in mind, that it was a fun one. Oh. <laughs> and so you, you can't even say that. Okay, okay. That you're excited about what we're going to watch or anything like that. Because I was looking for what's fun about it. And I mean... I get it. Your number one crush, Evangeline Lilly, has a big part in She's this. She's not my number one crush. Well, she's she's up there. You've said before. Yeah, I've said she's like a top 10, maybe? A top 10. <laughs> well, anyway. Um, no, and I'm not mocking you. I, I, she's uh, phenomenal. Um, and Canadian. Yeah. Represent. So I really liked it. It was it was a good... It It is fun. And the tech is what makes it. This film could not have been made 40 years ago. No, totally. And it holds up, even though it's a few years old. And it looks great. And it's really, it's fun. When the credits were rolling and I saw that it was Edgar Wright uh, and Adam McKay, you can tell. Mm-hmm. It has echoes of their films and the kind of the tongue-in-cheek aspect. And Paul Rudd is so watchable. I think I remember seeing the posters for this movie when it came out. And I went, hmm, Paul Rudd, Ant-Man, what could that be? And I, I didn't see it. But I think at that time I thought, oh, that's something I can get, in, get into. Because right. Paul Rudd. Because I really like him. And I remember you saying at one point, you didn't even know that Ant-Man was a Marvel character. Mm-hmm. And I think that had I just watched this film without seeing the rest of the canon, I would have still gotten something out of this or, or understood what was going on. It mm-hmm. didn't feel super linked to the rest of the films. I mean, there are obviously references to Hydra and S.H.I.E.L.D. and Stark. And we see Falcon at one point. We see Haley Atwell's character at one point. So, of course, there are links that are made more special or noteworthy when you know the whole canon, but this one could kind of stand on its own. Yeah, it's pretty self-contained, and I like how they kind of explain that, too. You've said in the past, 
with films where they're dealing with big threats, they're like, why don't they just call the Avengers? And mm-hmm. I like how they address that in this. Yeah, you're right. He says it. And then Hank says, no, we're not going to call them. And I'll tell you why. And he's it's all mm-hmm. because he he doesn't want Tony Stark to get his hands on the technology because mm-hmm. his dad wanted it. So I'm like, okay, great. That's a great short explanation of why this is a very self-contained film. Mm-hmm. And it works. Yeah. Also... I love San Francisco. It's so fun mm. that it's set there. Because what have we had so far? We've, I mean, we've had a lot of you know, nondescript European locations. Yes. Um, but in terms of like U.S. cities, we've had D.C. and New York and L.A. I love San Francisco, mm-hmm. and it's it's super fun to see the different neighborhoods and the, the bridges and the sweeping shots. All the, yeah, how hilly it is. It always strikes me like that's an amazing place. It is my favorite. It's so great. And so it's super fun. Like, even if I was not super into the, you know, superhero aspect of it, I could be like, oh, it's San Francisco. How fun. (laughs) (laughs) I know that place. There's the Koi Tower. Yeah, I liked it a lot. I don't really have much to say about it. I'm sure we'll find other things to talk about in it. I liked all the performances. That's a severe wig on Evangeline Lilly. Yeah, and at one point you even said it looks like she's Catherine Zeta-Jones. Yeah, it was a bit creepy. (laughs) His wife. You know what? This is maybe the smallest haha, film that we've seen so far in terms of the threat and the heroism is all like very contained within several very small relationships. Like it's not mm. a worldwide, at least not yet. It hasn't gotten to the point where it's a worldwide threat. Mm-hmm. Like in the first Avengers when the hole in the sky happens. And yeah, you know, it doesn't feel like citizens lives are hanging in the balance. And it all is contained kind of within San Francisco, except for the one little trip he does to the Avengers facility Mm -hmm. in upstate New York. But even then, yeah, it's mostly at Hank Pym's house Mm -hmm. and Pym Tech. It's back and forth between those two places. Yes. And it's it's kind of contained within Pym's family and the threat of his protege. And then it's contained within Paul Rudd, sorry, Scott Lang, and his daughter and, and that that storyline so it's all it's it seems like a when i gave my summary i know it sounds tiny but that's (laughs) (laughs) that's what this film feels like yeah in a good way yeah in a good way it's not like crossing the world multiple times in the film it's like oh yeah that was a two-hour film and it was succinct and contained yeah in the same kind of way that thor is actually too the first one where we have all this Asgard stuff, so that's out there. But then it's all just New Mexico mm-hmm. in that one little town. And that still stands out to me every time I watch that first Thor. I go, wow, for how big and astral Thor as a character is, mm. this is so contained. Mm-hmm. And I like that this one, like you said, can be a standalone totally. Mm-hmm. It's a fun heist movie. It is, yeah. And I like the kind of goofy side characters. I mean, they're pretty Mm one-dimensional, but they're still fun. We get to know them a little bit. Yeah, and then the filmmaking is just so great. Yeah, I love all the stuff that you can clearly see was Edgar Wright's work, Mm -hmm. which is a really interesting point about this film. So Edgar Wright was the director, first of all, and he was obviously still one of the writers, but he left because of creative differences with Disney. And it's never been said what exactly that is, what the straw was that broke the camel's back. But every time I watch it, I wonder what would it be like with his directorship? Mm. Because you can see the little writing gags, the stuff like 
the Thomas train coming to mm-hmm. hit David Cross and then it just clacks off the track. Yeah. Such a good bit. fantastic. And so I wonder how much more of that and how much more stylized would it have been? And I learned mm-hmm. that in 2003, Edgar Wright approached Marvel and said, I love this character. I want to do a film for this character. And so Whoa. there was nothing concrete, but he put the idea in their head that he wanted to do it. And I, sure, like if you look at Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz, and Baby Driver, Baby Driver, World's End, they're intense. They're dark. Somewhat dark. Yeah. Lots of swearing and blood and gore, way over the top and all those. And they're brilliantly crafted. But if he was leaning in that direction in this film, I can see how Disney would have been like, oh, maybe pump the brakes a little bit on that style. Mm. But even so, I would love to see the film that Edgar Wright wanted to make. Mm. But I'm so glad he was a part of this writing wise. Yeah. And so who's Peyton Reed? The director? Peyton Reed is another fantastic director. Um, He's also a quirky style. So they went with somebody who could still work with Edgar Wright's script. And I saw that Paul Rudd was a writer on it too. Yeah, which I love to see because he knows his style. So who better to write for him? I don't feel like I've seen Paul Rudd in a role like this before. Of course, not a superhero, but like, I feel like he often plays like kind of goofy, happy-go-lucky, nerdy Mm -hmm. characters. So right off the top when I was like, oh, he's in prison. It it was weird for me. In prison for sticking it to the man by robbing a, a tech company. Uh-huh, uh-huh. But but still, yeah. He's he's got a bit of a hard edge to him in the beginning. I like it. I I think he strikes the perfect balance for me of the comedy of the film, but it doesn't feel like, oh, he's acting in a comedy film. Mm-hmm. It feels just like he's a guy experiencing all this craziness for the first time. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of comedy to be mined in the shrinking <laughs> you know the first time he shrinks in the bathtub and then ends up on the club dance floor and mm-hmm. on the record and then he falls onto the top of the car and then expands like you were saying about the thomas the tank engine it's true like it seems so dramatic up close when they're fighting on top of the moving train and then it just kind of falls off the yeah. track it's great <laughs> it creates such unique opportunities for the visuals like i kind of forgot the part when they were in the when they're in the suitcase at the end mm-hmm. and they're falling and the whole bit with I'm going to disintegrate you and Siri says playing disintegration by the cure. Mm-hmm. That's a funny bit. But like the visuals of them clattering around and there's lifesavers and keys and stuff. Mm-hmm. It's just really cool. You know, we're not in a big city and there's not explosions. It's all this mundane stuff made super serious and intense. And kind of like in a metaphorical way, it's like how dramatic things seem when it's you who's experiencing it. And if you just zoom out, how like undramatic it is. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, Totally. Just to find some kind of, you know, kernel in there. (laughs) (laughs) There's a bit of an echo of Iron Man Mm -hmm. in this film. Like even just in the kind of snarkiness of the protagonist. Mm. And then the the suit capabilities and all that. Well, yeah, so... So I wanted to ask, and you bring up a really good point of... He's better pants. Oh, much better pants. But you you bring up a really good point about the threat not being immediate in that people are going to die right away if they fail this heist. Yeah, I feel like this could have happened and people would have been like, did you hear about that explosion that happened down at the, at the water? Right. Oh, what was that about? Oh, I guess some plant exploded. Yeah, yeah. You know, like citizens weren't 
terrified, which is fine. It's it's breaking with the form that we've seen before. Mm-hmm. You know, we've had huge crowd scenes of people just being shot down ruthlessly or cars flipping in the street and all this stuff. And in this film, it's like the citizens of San Francisco, let alone the citizens of America or the world, might have no idea what happened. But I guess it's this the hero aspect is like saving the future of humanity from this threat that they don't even know exists. Well, totally. Like, Darren doesn't have a plan to go out and kill people. He's just trying to sell it to the highest bidder, and that happens to be Hydra. But that's the threat. So there isn't this immediate, he's a bad guy because he wants to kill people. I mean, we do see him shrink that guy into muck in the bathroom, so he's a bit of a sociopath. But I wanted to ask what you thought of him as a villain, because like Iron Man, he's kind of similar to Obadiah in that. Very much. Bald. Bald. Exactly. <laughs> bald. You meet him in the beginning, you're and like, you're like, bad guy. that's the bad guy. Yeah. <laughs> right away. But what'd you think of him as a villain? I liked him. I mean, he's kind of like sexy John Malkovich-y. Like, he's a bit like... <laughs> oh, totally. <laughs> I don't know. He's he's good. Uh, but again, like I wasn't super aware of what the what his motivations were either. Just money, I guess. You know, he's trying to sell this technology. I like him better than Obadiah as a villain, because where Obadiah is just evil because he wants to steal the tech and sell it to terrorist groups, even though that's kind of exactly what Darren Cross is doing. He has such an inferiority complex to Hank and Hank took him under his wing and then pushed him away. So kind of in a reverse Hope, where Hope wants to push her dad away, Darren is like cloying for Hank's approval. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And even though that's still pretty one note, I can get behind that as a reason that a person would be pushed to these extremes mm. and to work as hard as he did to finally get to this technology, albeit flawed. Mm-hmm. I'm, I want to get to really meaty villains where I can see it from their perspective and not just go, oh, I see how you got there. I want to be able to go, oh, and I kind of see why you're still doing it too. Yeah, I guess like the overarching threat that we've seen through the, the films is Hydra. Mm-hmm. They've now appeared in several films like Cap 1, Cap 2, and this one. So... I'm curious to see where this Hydra thread will go because we had, you know, Captain America, Hydra's the main threat. I had no idea that that was going somewhere else. And then in Cap 2, it's like, oh, it's still around 70 years later. And so to have Hydra members in this film as well, especially where the villain, um, where Darren Cross says at the end, have you seen what they've been doing? They're doing some great work, actually. Or he, mm. he like, makes an excuse for them. Right, right, right. Which is, like, oh, that's so relatable to, like, nowadays when people are, like, oh, like, alt-right, but they're just, like, nice, like, sharp dressers. <laughs> or, like, people make excuses for that instead of, like, actually saying that's a real threat. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they're not burning crosses anymore. You should see the new work they're doing. Exactly. Yeah. Like, oh, but they're all educated and they're, they have nice haircuts. Right. <laughs> people think that they can trust them more because they don't have, like, swastikas on their arms or whatever. Mm-hmm, but like, mm-hmm. so it's, that's kind of uh, a relatable aspect of this to see the through line. Um, and I wonder where that will go. Mm, I love that. It's also, it's a through line that many of the Avengers and many of the films have, have dealt with. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's, that's kind of what I'm craving. It's just like, what's the like underbelly. 
maybe I'm figuring out why superhero films haven't really spoken to me over the years is because all the ones I've seen have been so tidy. Mm-hmm. You know, and then the threat's gone at the end. Yeah. And then there's, okay, number two. And you're like, okay, cool, new villain. Yeah. And I, I get when you say like, but I watch them to see who the new villain's going to be. Mm-hmm. That makes a lot of sense. You're looking for what's the insipid ideology that lasts and permeates into normal people that will tear down the world from within as opposed to a guy with a big gun or something. Yeah, because it's never just a guy with a gun. You know, it's never just one threat. Mm-hmm. As one-off films, they're they're great. But now to see this kind of like through line and like the way that, that Hydra has infiltrated and... They kind of are like existing in plain sight and carrying out their agendas in plain sight. They're a real threat that's like insidious and underground, but then they like reemerge every so often and like have these high up positions and are powerful people. Yeah, influencing terrible things happening and in the world. Policies being made. Yeah, that's very relatable. And it doesn't take too much of a stretch to to get there. Yeah. Because it's like, why do we need superheroes? Hmm. Not just for, like, getting cats out of trees or killing the one bad guy with the one big weapon. Mm -hmm. It's like, if we fantasize about, like, what a world would be like with superheroes, what would they be accomplishing? What would their mission be? What would keep driving them? And because they're not after, like, people who are, you know, robbing houses and stuff. They're not after, like, smaller crimes, mm -hmm. white-collar crimes either. They're all after the big, major agendas that would, like, harm the whole, like, future of humanity. The ones that humanity doesn't even know exist yet. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, if these are, like, fantasy movies that are set in a realistic place, it's not just like, whew, got that one guy. <laughs> It's like, well, what, what next? What, what else? Yeah, that's, I keep repeating myself. So good luck editing that. Oh, I love it. And so have you seen this one a few times? Yeah, I've seen this one several times. But every time I watch it, I'm struck by how much it stands out to me. And that's why I think I did say, oh, this is a fun one. Because it really just feels like a romp. It's a heist. These characters are, as you said, one note. But they're so well written one note wise. They're very funny and we get the pathos of the family dynamic, and then we get all this bit humor everywhere. Mm -hmm. And I love that. And it looks visually so good, too. It It's full of CG, but the CG I, is kind of stylized in a way. And I love it. it. It makes it stand out from the other films so much. Well, yeah, because everything is CG. Like when he's running through a carpet, everything around him is CG. Yeah. No, now we're watching just, it's like a Bug's Life or a Toy Story or something. It's like it's turned into... <laughs> Literally a Bug's Life. <laughs> yes, exactly. I wonder what it would have been like if they went for a Honey, or Shrunk the Kids kind of look. Oh, yeah. That would be so cool. <laughs> yeah, I honestly wasn't bothered by the CG. And I know I rail on it every other time, but I, I didn't mind it. I liked the montages and then learning about each of the different kinds of ants and what they all do. And then him going into the tunnel and being like, this is easy. And then having to like expand his way out of the tunnel because mm -hmm. it was too much. You didn't like that the ants made noise. I didn't like that made noise. Why? 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 Creepy. And like the fact that they're everywhere. Like all he has to do is just like focus for a second and ants come out of the walls and the car vents and everything. It's like they're everywhere. I like mean, it just made me think are? like, ew. Like could be ants they... in the couch right now. Exactly. <laughs> That's what's making the noises. <laughs> the squeaks. 
yeah, that was kind of nasty. I'm if there's like a snake villain, I'm I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I can turn into a th- snake. <laughs> Ew. Mm. But up until the point that they um first shrink in the film, I was like, oh, this is a heist movie. It it felt like Ocean's Eleven. It's very in that vein, it feels very realistic. Um, and then I was still on board when all the shrinking happened and everything. Here's the fantasy part. Right, right. <laughs> um, so it seems like there will be a return. Well, it says Ant-Man will return. And Evangeline Lilly, your top 10, is the Wasp. And I think I've seen that there's a title of Ant-Man and the Wasp or something. So don't confirm or deny. But I think she's pretty great. She's a good fighter and good character. Okay, that kid could not be cuter. Oh, Heart she's breaker. so sweet. Yeah. Hope you don't catch him. Yeah, so <laughs> sweet. Oh. <laughs> yeah, they found a real gem. Yeah. Who did the score? So the score was done by Christoph Beck, who's a little more unknown, but I really love the score to this. It's very punchy and actiony. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. So the 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 theme is it's such a smart move. It's in seven eight. Um, which gives it a very Mission Impossible mm-hmm. vibe. Mm-hmm. It's such a smart move. It's it's a simple little tweak, but it instantly puts us. I mean, it's amazing how as a collective consciousness we now have all of these songs that mm. represent. A certain style to us mm-hmm. but that's what Mission Impossible is and I think he uses that perfectly in this and it's brash and brassy and fun and he's he plays with a lot of different styles too he he's got some really contemporary things in there when they're getting all the stuff together for the heist mm-hmm. it sounds a bit like actual pop music but it's just him he's written some cool background music and when Luis goes into his spiels, the two times that he tells the story, so there's good. like the. Yeah. It feels very Edgar Wrighty. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that was cool. Um, gives it such like a, a drive. I think he's such a good addition to this film. Again, yeah. a, a one note kind of comedy character, but perfectly used. Perfectly. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I was trying to really actually listen for the score. And it felt like a traditional sort of superhero film score, except then it also had those more realistic or practical Quirky, music yeah. bits. Yeah. Like I said, it's a very fun film. That's how I feel about it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I wonder if I would like sit down on a Saturday and watch Ant-Man. Paul Rudd is just so watchable. I, I might. I don't think I've seen Evangeline Lilly in anything except for the first season of Lost. Yeah, I really like her in this. I think she's believable as Hope, who has this distance from her father because of the trauma they both experienced when her mom disappeared, we'll mm-hmm. say, went subatomic. And I love that aspect of it. Like, mm-hmm. that we're not just talking about, oh, they shrink. But there's a little bit of the science of it, of, okay, so what happens when you shrink down? And that's why he is so strong, because he shrinks, but his density remains the same. Mm-hmm. And So then, going subatomic, is it because he shrunk to get inside... The suit, mm-hmm. and then Darren shrunk or was incinerated. Like, how how did that work? Like, what was the science? 
Yeah, and I've thought about that too, because he's technically inside Darren's suit, so what happens there? But I think they're two separate things. So Darren, then his suit malfunctioned, and he yeah. it just like crushed him. But yeah, so Scott takes off his regulator, the same thing that Hope's mother did, mm-hmm. which means that... He the, can shrink smaller. Yeah, the, but the suit will just keep on shrinking forever. So that's why oh. we kept seeing him going like deeper and deeper into all these microscopic mm-hmm. things, mm-hmm. which is so cool to start mm-hmm. exploring that like, okay, it's not just about now you're tiny. It's what does that mean molecularly? Mm-hmm. I did say at one point, he's got to be careful not to press those buttons in awkward situations. I know. Like, there was one time when they were sneaking into the building through the water pipes or whatever. Like, there are a lot of times when it's like, don't press that button. Yeah. I know. There's got to be a safety on it. Like, yeah. the suit can tell. Cannot expand. Exactly. Cannot expand. Exactly. Because there were some awkward times. Yep. Where he would die <laughs> if he expanded inside a water pipe or whatever. No, but it's super fun. You're right. And another funny guy got the Marvel treatment. Oh, oh, the, the bulking up and shredding. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I know. I was surprised. I was like, hmm, that's nice. That was actually all him, though. Hmm. They didn't ask him to do it. And he just kind of did it because he was like, well, I'm going to be a Marvel film. I want to I look the part. And hmm. so he showed up for costume tests. Mm-hmm. And he didn't fit the suit anymore. Hmm. <laughs> so they had to change his costumes because he'd bulked up. Wow. And Evangeline Lilly is so fit. Oh, did she do her own fighting? It looks like the two of them did quite a bit. And she's capable as well, because she's been on, well, as you said, Lost forever. And there was lots of action in that. And then she was also in a movie called Real Steel with Hugh Jackman, and that was all about boxing. And I know that she did a lot of practice for that film. Hmm. So she is a physical actor. Mm -hmm. Ah, that was fun. I'm going to have dreams of bugs tonight. Wait, is an ant a bug? An ant's an insect. Because we recently watched Ants and a Bug's Life (laughs) and had to figure out why a bug's life instead of an insect's life. I think it's because a bug's life... Is a catchier title. Well, and it incorporates a bunch of different types of crawling critters. It's not just about the ants. It's about grasshoppers and ladybugs and caterpillars and all them. Whereas ants is about ants. We went down a wormhole. We did. With ants. And finding out about why Ants and a Bug's Life came out almost at the same time. Oh, it's fascinating. Yeah, go down that wormhole. That yeah. was fun. We won't explain it all here, but look it up. It's it's a whole movie unto itself. <laughs> I know. I want to see the the movie version or the documentary of Ants and a Bug's Life coming out at the same time. <laughs> so dramatic. And I still prefer Ants over a Bug's Life. Oh, same. Yeah. Same, except they don't have enough uh, limbs in Ants. Oh, no. In a Bug's Life, they don't have enough limbs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, ants is anatomically correct. Anatomically correct. Okay, good night. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening. Please subscribe and leave us a review. Let us know what you think. And you can follow us at MCU and Me Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. See you next time. Bye.